Hello, everybody. What's up? It's me. It's Aristotle Full Throttle. Nice to see you. You look nice. Nice shirt. I like your hat. Have you done something different with your hair? Like shave your head? Color it purple. Color me bad. Remember that group? I'm Aristotle Full Throttle. It's really nice to see you. Like it's daytime, and I got I'm trying to cut my hair. See. You guys can't see this if you're listening to it. That's on the, this on the podcast, the Spotify podcast, which you can always go to Spotify and listen to Aristotle Full Throttle. And wherever you listen to podcasts, you can get this show. It's five days a week, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I got to I got to do that every time. It's part of professional broadcasting. See, I try to cut my hair, but it's not a one time thing. You can't just cut my hair. You have to let it dry and turn into a big space balls. I, I'm, I'm from I'm from the movie Spaceballs. So what you got to do is you just got to slowly trim it on the sides a little bit. So today, I don't know if you guys saw this video. My friend, I was texting with him. He said, I just saw that video, man, and it made me upset. And I said, what video? And he said, oh, yeah, the video where there's uh, two kids fighting, one black and one white, in a mall. And the cops break it up, but they pin the black kid down and handcuff him. And they ask the white kid if he's all right. And I said, well, I have not yet seen this unsurprising video. Because, you know, we live in America. He said it reminded him of when we were on tour. Let me just let you in on a secret. That was my former drummer, Oliver, OCW5000, talking about that. He said, that reminds me of the times we would go to the different tri-state area malls. Because this mall happened to be in New Jersey. Which is terrible. Don't ever go to New Jersey is the lesson we should learn. Obvious I, I say that because I'm from New York. And we are have, we have a vendetta against each other. We don't like each other. New York and New Jersey. We've been at odds since the beginning of time. Since old York and old Jersey. We've always fought. But you know what we both can agree on? Staten Island is the worst. <laughs> That's something we can all agree on, I hope. How you doing out there? You you see you following the news? Are you seeing how much Racism is still going on. Is Does black lives still matters? That's my question to you today. I don't know. A couple years ago, I saw people, you know, the quote-unquote woke mob. They were saying stuff like, Black lives matter, indigenous lives matter, trans lives matter. During the Black Lives Matters movement. Which was like such an like a dopey way of saying all lives matter. Yet those people would be angry if you said you accused them of saying all lives matter. They'd be like, what are you talking about? No, black lives matter. And indigenous lives matter. And trans lives matter. It's like, well, yes. But do you realize you are also saying all lives matter during the black lives matter focus? Right now we're focusing on... No, I'm not one of those all lives, blue lives matters people. Black lives matter and trans lives matter and indigenous people. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. Yes, that's true. However, right now, we're trying real hard, us black and brown folks. We're trying it real hard to matter. So hopefully you subscribe. Hey, Will, what's up? What is good, everybody? We got everybody in the house. We're, gonna, we're just talking about, you know, if you don't catch the 
when I first get shot out of a cannon. You might miss the, the top of the show, but you can always catch the replay on YouTube, on Twitch for at least two weeks, and on Spotify, where you can download this as a podcast and listen to it. Am I right, Will? <laughs> you got the touch. Is this Will? You got the power. Here it is. Here it is. My most likable song ever. Coca-Cola, lipstick ring, go dance all night, dance all night. Kiss me, just kiss me, kiss me, Nephrodite. Lipstick, kiss me, lipstick ring, oh, that's the way that's you the like, way it. like it. This is your most likable song ever? <laughs> yeah. People will love what? it. It's so good, that song. It is a very likable song because it's sung by a very likable Frank in the movie Frank. Welcome, Ron. Welcome, Will. I'm just talking about, you know, racism. Black Lives Matter. That's what I started banging this drum two years ago on this show. Two years ago, Black Lives Mattered. And we see it today in a mall in none other than the worst place on earth, New Jersey. Two teens fighting, one black and one white. They're separated by the cops and the black kid is pinned to the ground and handcuffed while the other kid, the white kid, sat down and they said, how are you doing? Are you doing okay, white kid? Because you're white. We just assume that you were the victim. Just listen to the frame rates bugging you. <laughs> just I know the frame rate. The frame rate will settle in in the first 10 minutes. It seems to do this. My computer seems to figure out, like, things like, hey, is my... Call me... I'm gonna start killing some programs yeah. here. Is this helping? It's not really helping, is it? Just give it a second. back the frame rate is back kicked back up a notch we're back we're like uh emerald lagasse here we bam we're kicked it up a notch am i right ron i hear ron j- entering we the are. discord discord is where you guys can join if you subscribe on twitch.tv you can join jump in the discord and have a live chat because there's nothing better to listen to a conversation not just me monologuing it's annoying you gotta have a conversation I- am i right ron it's right, and I actually have, you know, you mentioned about the mall thing. I actually yeah. have had that, I've experienced that firsthand. I've had it happen to me. Oh, really? Uh, I went to an open mic with a, a fellow comic who just happened mm-hmm. to be black, and he was going a little fast, maybe a couple miles over the speed limit. They pulled him over. I was in the passenger seat, and he, they, they were sweet as pie to me but they essentially yanked him out of the car threw him on the ground and tossed him in the back of a paddy wagon and the cops gave me a ride to a restaurant to wait for a ride because my friend wouldn't let me drive his car back home which was very odd because now he has like had like seven hundred dollars worth of uh impound fees and towing and others i could have just driven the car home dude and he's like nope nobody drives my car i'm like all right 
Okay, Marty McFly, whatever. That's fine. But, uh, I mean, he, he, they shouldn't have treated him the way he, he, they did. And if I had done what he did in regards to questioning, like, certain laws that they were talking about and saying I wasn't going to get out of the car and stuff like that, they wouldn't yeah. have done what they did to me that they did to him. But yeah. I found, I mean, I was waiting for them to offer me quiche and uh, a, a, a nice cold water. It Would you was, like a back rub, sir? Ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was, it was, um, I, so I saw it firsthand and I yeah. tried working it into my standup and it just did not work because it always makes me come out like a, you know, but. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. fair enough. You, you did see it secondhand. I've seen it firsthand. <laughs> just just to just to throw that out there uh yes indeed it is not a good thing like i was pulled over three times in one day one time when i was at 19 and i had braids down to my damn shoulders <laughs> and also the brown skin that i have i was pulled over three times in one day <laughs> wait you're black yeah look check it out i've got so much uh i'm not multiracial. i came up with this i'm ethnically non-monogamous <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun one ah yes no i uh i have yes i have 34 percent african genes so i will claim that <laughs> i will claim those genes there you go uh, indeed uh it's just crazy though i mean in america yes i'm black Th that sounds like an awful experience for your friend yes indeed it does judy i agree uh let's play judy's thank you for sharing that because, um, you know, it's good that people do acknowledge and see that the goings on of uh, society as it's working. And let's welcome Judy with her intro. I was I zoned out there for a second because I was just grooving to the song by the famous band. Everybody loves them. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's own Chumba Wumba. <laughs> All right. Yeah, well, that sounds about right. <laughs> that sounds exactly right. You know, they, they so many hits to Chumba Wumba. They had they had. Let's see. Uh, they had that one. Um, I can't. What? what uh, did, let me just look in. Let me Google it. Let me see if uh, it's on Google. Uh, oh, hey, Studio 8H. I was just Googling Chumbawamba's greatest hits, but you're here, so we're going to play your intro. Raccoon Raiders! And now, introducing Studio A.H. Sorry, Ron, I dropped the ball on your Cindy Lauper reference earlier. Sorry. Uh, oh, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> so, yeah, the mall cop situation. Or were they mall cops or were they real cops? I don't even know. This is the first I'm hearing about it. Well, check it out. The video is pretty... The kid who... The black kid looks like he doesn't want to fight. 
in my opinion, from what I'm seeing. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but the, the white kid is a little bit bigger than him and is in his face. And uh, then they start shoving and then they start punching. And it's just a fight where you separate them. You bring them to do two different areas. You, you question what's going on with go each one of them. You restrain them because they're fighting. This is kind of like protocol for any type of fight situation. But here's what happened. They sit the white kid down in a chair and they just leave him. And then they tackle the black kid and handcuff him. <laughs> So you're like, God. you're like, okay, well, hang on a second here. <laughs> what's going on? Who's the threat? What, what's happening? But it's all there on video. And even the kid who's videoing is like, this racial, that's because he's black. <laughs> it's kind of obvious at this point. That's, that's just, it's, uh, white people suck. Well, you know, it's not, it's, it's not the white people, it's the system. It's the system that ingrains... Yeah, but the system is run by white people, so white people suck. I know, but there needs to be a, a, dis, a separation between the idea of individuals and a system that benefits a certain group. I think that we need to sit there and focus on that difference instead of just being blanket let's instead of painting everybody white because you know what the rolling stones like to do paint it black yep they sure do thank you especially uh, if it's a door yeah if it's a green door i want to paint it black uh <laughs> let's not paint everyone with the same black brush or the white same white brush let's say hey this is a system let's all acknowledge that there is a system that exists in America, and it's still got a lot of long way to go. That it benefits just one part of society, uh, and that's not—it's not a fair system because of that. And people like to say, "Well, we elected Obama. Now racism's over, right?" Uh, well, let's just go to New Jersey's malls and check it out. See what's going oh, on. Oh, that was Jersey. Oh, for crying out <laughs> yeah, loud! Uh, yes, exactly. I said, you know, New York. I'm from New York, and I hate New Jersey. And New Jersey and New York have a, a feud as old as, I don't know, the Starks and the Lannisters, I suppose. It, it, since they were old York and old Jersey, we've been fighting. And, uh, but we can agree that Staten Island sucks. Both of us. Yes, we can. Uh, Isis Will says, in the U.S., we had, a, had the one-drop rule on paper bag tests and to establish racial affiliation. There you go. I'm as dark as a paper bag. Cover your math books with me. Um, Will, that's true. Oh, so Studio A says, so I was talking to Cindy Lauper. Why would you do that the other day? And she said she fired this white guy named Aristotle once. Yeah, that's true. Which is funny because it's true. <laughs> Were you talking to Cindy Lauper about her uh, uh, psoriasis? I said, Cindy Lauper, I got a medication for you. It's called anti-racism. Call the smack um, in the face if you keep talking like that. That's she's so crazy. Like I, I, I never liked her. Like I've never. Okay, I'm gonna. She's so say unusual. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm gonna say something that might make me look like a horrible person in certain people's eyes, but I have never seen the Goonies. And you've never seen. I, yeah. I, I, now here's the thing: is I've been told by numerous people that it's pointless to see now because it wouldn't have the same impact. You've never seen the goodies. Yeah. 
it, it wouldn't it won't have the same impact as an adult you need to be eight years old to watch the goonies and um, you need to be a young josh brolin you do josh brolin's head was probably the same size you ever see the size of josh brolin's head relative to his own body it's kind of uh, remarkable it's, it's kind that's of why he how... had to play thanos he did play thanos but they gave him a big body to match the size of his head the size of his head was actual size because Thanos, you know, giant purple alien, they just gave him a bigger body just to match the size of his head. Remember when uh, when Star-Lord was, like, uh, punching him in the face and stuff? And yeah. And his head was, like, this big, you know? That's the actual size of uh, Josh Brolin's head. Get off the show, Ron, now! No. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> That's what Studio Aid... Um, oh, I know, I saw. Uh, is this Will? If, are you at work? Where are you doing? If I get home before you and... I have a recent epiphany on the matters of race and religion and why change is passively resisted. Well, you always need a scapegoat, right? Everybody needs a scapegoat. Uh, and if it turns out in the United States, I feel, this is my theory anyway. This is my speculation. In the United States, there was a time where the Europeans colonized it. So they figured if you were brown, like the indigenous folks, or black, like the slaves that they brought over, they were easy to identify. Classist, racist. So you'd be like, okay, white people from Europe, right? So we've established rule here. We've killed people with the smallpox and murdered tons of people and done this whole slave trade. And uh, it's kind of like a... It's just like a shorthand. You're like, okay, so if I see someone who's got dark skin, that means I can be better than them. That's kind of like, I think it's just ingrained in our society for the last 400 years or so, uh, just in the United, United States, but like throughout the world for you know, ever. I think it was, I don't know if it was Ralph Ellison um, who said, I sound smart all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't know if it was Ralph Ellison or, or Curly the, from the Three Stooges who said this, uh, but it was... I forget who it was. I don't think it was. It might have been uh, someone else. But uh, black folks are the N-word of the world. It's a powerful uh, statement. It's see, powerful... I was raised that you don't... Uh, see, I was raised by you don't judge someone by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And it just so happens that for the most part, I hang out with people who have no character. That's, that's good. Just because you are a character doesn't mean you I am. have character. That's what we learn from the wolf in Pulp Fiction when Julia Sweeney shows up for no reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great, which is a great, uh, let's just do it aside from that powerful statement I just made. Uh, that the moment when they take the car to the junkyard in Pulp Fiction and Wolf says, just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. It's because. It's true it's because I also think it's a meta joke about Julia Sweeney just sort of showing up in the movie <laughs> and not really having any kind of arc or anything. She's None just, at all. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, she's attracted to uh, uh, an, uh, an aged Harvey Keitel. You know what is great about that? Uh, that Julia Sweeney is in that movie. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Forever and ever. She could be like, I was in Pulp Fiction. So same with Phil Lamar. That guy is awesome. Yep. Hey, is this Will? Phil Lamar, uh, by the way, incredible voice actor. He does like all the voices you hear on TV. Amazing. I believe he's Green Lantern in the Justice League cartoons. Oh, is he? Um, is he? Um, 
John Stewart. Um, John Stewart. Yeah, indeed. Julie Sweeney's hubby or boyfriend at the time was producer, I think, on Pulp Fiction. Well, there you go. Sometimes you get a job that way. And a lot of people talk about the nepotism in Hollywood, but, you know, nepotism exists everywhere. I don't think I've ever gotten a job without nepotism, except for my first job ever in film. I walked into every studio in Manhattan <clears throat> two weeks after graduating college. I don't even think it was two weeks. With a resume. I printed out 30 resumes one day, and I printed out 30 resumes the next day. I walked into like 50 studios or so. And I walked up to the people, and I was like, Hi, I would like to have a job, please, in the movies. And then they take the, took the resume and said, Sure. All right. Get out of here, kid. And then, uh, you know, one time I walked into this one place, and the guy hired me on the spot. That was the only time I've ever gotten a job on the spot. And since then, I got many jobs through all of the people I met on that first job. So it's it's kind hey, of an interesting... <laughs> yeah, but it's just getting your foot in the door. And a lot of people are born on third base and think they hit a triple, they say. It's just, Will, you're always muted when you pop in. What's, what's going on? How you doing? Well, I'm on my phone, so I don't know if we're going to have feedback issues or anything. Can you hear me? We can hear you, Will. Oh, Okay. So, What's up? I'm burning the midnight oil here at work, but at the same time, burning the man. Go ahead. So, right. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward thought, but it also, when you apply it to the grand scheme of things, to me, it kind of resonated. And that's all right. So, the systems of patrilineage on this planet, like the inheritance of wealth and the accumulation of wealth and property. Uh, in Western society, it dates back to monarchies. Uh, the mm -hmm. belief of the monarchies are that they're specifically divinely anointed to have rule and therefore to own all things and have dominion over all things. So it, their authority based on that history came from a divine source that's the only credibility they have for a ruling they there's nothing related to personal merit that says you should be a ruler mm. now you, you correlate that with the idea of racial dominion and one race being superior again that's also not based on anything other than conjecture and opinion so you can say, yeah. oh, certain races are biologically adapted to be superior of one sort or another. Every piece of evidence proves that not to be true. Um, right. Was, well, when you look for a thing, you'll find it everywhere that you look instead of finding the counter evidence to the thing. That's what has been the problem for like since the beginning of time, as far as like trying yeah. to scientifically prove that one race is superior over another. Yeah, well, if you say, yeah. Sorry. It's it's the black swan uh, fallacy. You say all swans right. are white until you see a black one. You know it's it's yeah. you'll you'll only ever see white swans. So yeah, go ahead. But anthropologically, race is discordant. That's the term they use. Every feature that we would associate or group with one race is represented in multiple instances in other races that don't fit the criteria that we create. So it's it's actually just so inconsistent throughout the global population that the concept of race is completely scientifically invalid and false. So that yeah. doesn't exist. But here's the thing. If you look at the history of the monarchy and the idea of divine ordination for ruling and our world being divvied up by 
monarchies and empires that believe that they were anointed by God to have this power. Once okay. you remove God from the equation, then what is the basis for them having ownership of anything? And the lineage of that ownership, which influences the way the world is ordered today, every Force? map, every border that's been drawn as a result of imperialism, right. they have no authority. Yeah. So if you don't have something to associate that authority with, and race and nationality is the de facto now, since we don't have divine ordination, then- Slow down with these big words. They got a lot of syllables, and my brain doesn't work that well. Okay. okay. I like cookies. Cookies so are delicious, but the go simple, on, go Here's on, the epiphany as it originally, before all my college kicked in. It's this, yeah. people generally in the West they denounce communism not only because of the idea that people are not going to be able to excel, but because it's a godless philosophy. There's no God in communism, all co communists are atheists. That's thinking, why is that a threat? The reason that's a threat is because if you take God out of how we structure our society, then it becomes a matter of merit and utility, how we use and divide things. So mm. everyone who has a historical claim to some kind of power, some kind of authority or some kind of property, it's all based on a fictitious idea. So right. with, you take God out of the equation yeah. and then suddenly everyone has to be measured by their own merit and contribution to society. Yeah. So, it, so in that sense, race is an easy fallback when you don't have yes. the, the, the lenience of people being so much into the authority of the church anymore. Because like, right. all right, well, these people are from a different country. They're different. They're inferior. So that's why we right. should be in control. We and are self-ordained superior. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we can rule over everyone else. That's the, is that what you're getting at? Is that what you mean by that? Like, that's what we've arrived Yeah. There's like, we... So that was my opinion, that history plays into this, the evolution of supremacy. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're... It's crazy. It's It's... It could have been, uh, could have been the other way around. <laughs> it could have been, it could have been any which way. But this is how it, it is. It really wouldn't right have now. been better necessarily. But when you think no. about why people have so many different things lumped into what they consider progressive and left, the resistance against socialism is tied to a stigma against communism, which eliminates the divine ordination of power. So they why? resist that, and then liberal ideas that are about racial equality and balance and the value of other cultural ideas and histories while they're snapping back against uh, critical race theory and things like that is that that humanistic thing that they're trying to challenge the idea that people actually should own the land they were born into in this country that we yeah. did a gross injustice by genocide to the native population and then we push them all off that lane and we're still doing it to this day for oil pipeline. Yeah. I mean, that's like exact, you know, I'm with you. I feel like, uh, that, uh, I need more coffee. Hold on. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's, um, I feel like I just had a Metroid eating my skull here. There you go. There's a Metroid hat. Uh, the, the, nothing, everything's different, but nothing's different. Everything's changed, mm -hmm. but nothing's changed. That's it's the just problem, gonna, yeah, exactly. If I, if, uh, 
that <laughs> everything can be turned into a Pearl Jam song. Everything can be filtered Jeez, through Eddie Vedder's, Eddie Vedder's lyrics. But that's that's the thing. Like uh, everything has changed. Absolutely nothing's changed. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, but I feel like we just keep redressing. We keep redressing the thing up. We're like, oh yeah, now it's time. Like, so how did everybody feel two years ago when Black Lives Mattered? And the people were like, you know, this time, this time, we're gonna we're gonna fix it. <laughs> this time, I know that since the beginning of like, well, I wouldn't even say Roman civilization because Roman civilization was very diverse, <laughs> and it was like. Um, which is, uh, you know, I was watching this thing actually recently on on 300 and the Greeks and how like the Greeks were seen as like this superior white race versus like all of these other inferior and bizarre types of cultures. Whereas like the Roman Empire was just everybody who could fight. We were like, if you could fight, you're on our team and we're all Romans. Stand on your two feet and wield yeah. the sword. Exactly. And that's and that was like society was way more diverse in that respect back then and diverse but they had citizens and then they had slaves and then they had yes. the conscripted in the colonies. so there was still a hierarchy in place but like they didn't care who you were if you were killing the enemy that do you think it's true. like do you think it's a natural tendency for humans to just be like all right well we got to conquer things and we see other humans and we got to go kill them because they got things that we want and uh that's how all of Pretty the nasty. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, I think that that boil it down. Like, right. Well, I think we say we either want to like um, have sex with it or kill it. That's basically what we did with the Neanderthals. That's what we did with the uh, Denisovans. That's what we did with all of the genes that we still find in humans, modern humans today. Those humans, we just we we're like, you have things we want, so we're gonna kill you, or yeah marry you um but it's only applicable to the point where we are now because we are at a point where we have i would argue enough mastery over our environment and our resources where there is no drive there is no necessity like anyone who's desperate for any of their fundamental needs in life right now it's the result of how things have been orchestrated not our capacity to provide for the seven billion of us there are there is a surplus of every resource that we would ever need if we distributed it with the yeah. intent of taking care of everyone yeah so we gotta like, like so really yeah, but then you run into situations like i'm in now you know um i don't if you're in my discord you know what i'm talking about um and i don't want to put it out here um but it's one of those situations where i can afford to pay my bills and I do pay my bills, but what I, this situation I'm running into is the fact that when mom died, she left us in a lurch, and she had no will. And now probate is threatening to take everything that we've built in this last year away from us and put us out on the street. You know, what what do you do when it comes to situations like that? Well, that's unfortunate. I have an Ron. answer, but it's not the pragmatic answer that the system is put you in you know it's the the if we, if we could restructure the system we wouldn't be taking from people who had what they needed and were doing what they could 
but probate yeah. exists for one purpose. The people who have the power to control probate to profit from. That's why I said there's so many laws on the books that deal with matters of property and finances that are just strictly there to benefit the people who can yeah. dictate what those laws are. Does it boil down to just land ownership? It just boils down to ownership of land, right? Of like you, you're in a place that's conquering territory. I guess it's, it all kind of comes down to. I don't know. Like we're trying to solve racism here on Aristotle Full Throttle today, and I think we might do it by the end of the hour. It's uh, five days a week, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday through Friday. Uh, you know, we talk about all kinds of things, and today we're talking about uh, the mall cop, the mall incident where the two teens were fighting one was black one was white and uh the cops separated them and they tackled the black kid and handcuffed him and they said hang hang out here for a second white kid just sit here and we'll take care of this uh so you know it's clearly there's something going on there something is clearly going on there because if you watch the origins of the fight the two kids uh, are shoving each other and fighting each other and it, it, it seems to me that the bigger kid the white kid was uh, a, a bit in the face of the smaller kid, the younger kid, the 14-year-old black kid, and it didn't look like he wanted to fight, but he seemed, it looked like he perceived a threat. Uh, whatever was going on, it, that's my opinion of the video. I watched it two times. The, the smaller kid, the black kid, seemed like he was perceiving a threat. I can't tell you what he was actually perceiving, but uh, that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> And then they started brawling because the bigger kid, the white kid, wanted to look like he really wanted to fight this other kid. I don't know why. I don't know who instigated it. Whatever. But uh, it turns well, out. It's about what you're conditioned to see as a threat, you know? And if yeah. people, you really want to get into the weeds? Because I've been sitting on a rant for a long time. Will is going to, to Will's going to provide it's on us. Topic, it's on topic. Uh, uh, yes, Will. Now we've got 27 minutes left in the show. <laughs> what do oh, you no, got? I'm not gonna. I'm good. Uh, the the subject will just open the door. The talking will fill the time. It's not gonna be me talking the whole time, but it's all right. Yeah. Social psychology. Um, yes. It's all about how you can create impressions in people, and that influences how people feel and see and behave. Just yeah. the cognitive aspect completely changes society. We mm -hmm. live in a modern culture where the depiction of people of color and minorities in popular media, it's a joke, like the black person always dies or they die first, right? Right, that's the horror movie trope where- Unless you're, yeah. unless you're George Romero. Unless you're LL Cool J, you've got a no death clause. That's in true, your yeah. yeah. But in general, if you think about how much media, inclusive of things beyond film and television, let's talk about popular music uh what genres have ascended to the top like the super bowl would be a perfect example how yeah. much violence and victimization is a part of our depiction of minorities how does that condition us to expect that and perceive those people as a threat how are you referring to the moment during the super bowl halftime show where there are a bunch of dancers dressed like inmates no just in general <laughs> i'm talking about just hip-hop culture and how it went from one thing right. to another and gang rap became the predominant version of popular music from the hip-hop culture and how many people their experience with black culture is exclusively through music that talks about right misogyny drug use and people getting killed and how many rappers do you know who've either been charged been found mm -hmm. guilty or been victims of a violent act like just how pervasive is 
the things that we use to sell security systems, car batteries, mace, guns, all the all the things that we sell those things for are the things that we see yeah. in what we consider popular minority culture, whether it be movies, TVs, video games, and such as that, so that people how much conditioning has taken place where we're used to seeing people of color dying, used to seeing big, people of color killed. I had a big argument about some, something similar to, that relates to this actually a couple of years ago uh, with a friend of mine, uh, a former friend of mine now. But uh, I had a, I had a, let's, let's not forget that the number one consumer for, I don't know, probably the last 30, 40 years of gangster rap, hip hop, and rap in general are Midwestern white boys. <laughs> that's oh actually the number one consumer of that product which is funny because it does like will it does feed into that you know perpetuation perpetuation of those stereotypes that people you know the gangster rappers who are they're rapping about their plight they're writing what they know i don't know how much snoop dog still knows about that since he's been rich and famous since he was 19 years old um but hey, Actually, he still is quite a lot because there's there's a video going around now him talking about how uh, he had to step away from it. And apparently he was supposed to be in the car when Tupac was killed. And oh, wow. uh, yeah. And so and how he was there when uh, like when Tupac took his last last breath in the hospital. Oof. And yeah, he That's had to, he says he said he's like, look, if I'm going to serve it, it was all after his bodyguard shot that guy. He had to like step back and just be like, "Look, I can't be a part of this anymore." And when he did, look at him now. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, um, and, and and to to mention the mid white Midwestern boys, first yeah. off, uh, yes, that's me. Not I am one, but uh, I never. I, and that's the thing is, I was on a show last night, and we brought up how it was crazy how in the mid '90s everybody had a Charlotte Hornets starter jacket. And <laughs> nobody was a fan of the Charlotte Hornets. Yeah, who who would be anyway? People um, in Charlotte weren't even fans of the Charlotte Hornets. I know I'm, I'm wrestling with my mic stand right here. But I, going back to Will talking about like you know just in this conversation in general about uh, popular culture, rap music, and that whole imagery. Let's go back three or four years when uh, when we got uh, the gift from Childish Gambino that is the um, This Is America music <laughs> video. Um, oh, I had this. I had a big argument. I, I just heard the song the other day, and I was singing along. And I, you know, I got the guns on Oaxaca. I like that song a lot. <laughs> it's a great song. But uh, and, and the video, it just it's just so perfectly paired. It, it, it's an entire experience if you watch it. And I'll be right back. coming 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 from um, my own standpoint, I'm watching this video. <laughs> with a different eyes and hearing the song with different ears than I think non like then I think white people are seeing it because when childish Gambino was dancing on cars and you see you know this alt this violence everything's coming down around him and you know and, and all these kids are like looking up to him and all these school kids you know it's like really specific what we're seeing and there's so, there's so many allusions to like in the lyrics, like, Grandma told me, get that money, black man. Grandma told me, get that money. And he, it's it's about, for me, an aspect of that song and that video is, this is 
a road, a path to rich riches and fame. Mm-hmm. However, what's going on in America? What's going on in the ghetto? What's going ghetto? I say ghetto is any group of underprivileged people who are of similar background. Um, what's going on in the hood? You know, when we see what's that versus like, how do you get out of those circumstances? How do you get that money? It's not as easy. It's not, there aren't as many, say, like personal references, personal, um, personal examples, role models for, let's say, if you live in an underprivileged part of the neck of the woods and you're black and you want to grow up to make money. Who are the role models who look like you who are making money? Professional athletes, musicians, drug dealers, perhaps. I don't know. These are just stereotypes, right? But like, yeah. what are the role models? And the argument I was having was like, this is kind of, he's, he's illustrating that. Childish Gambino was illustrating, hey, look, rich and famous getting that money. But, you know, meanwhile, like, where else is there to go? Like, how else am I going to do this? And my, the counterpoint that I was experiencing from my friend who is white, they were like, well, no, everybody in America can become anything they want to become. I'm like, yes, that is true. However, people tend to have role models. They tend to see someone doing a thing and it, and it helps them understand that there is a possibility that they themselves one day could be that thing it's called role model it's called modeling it's called it's called uh, you know finding a, the path and when you go to the dentist say you want to be a dentist you know perhaps the dentist in that area more likely than not is a white person maybe a white guy when you go to the doctor in that area you know perhaps more often than not it's a white guy and um so it means that what I'm trying to say is, is I feel like if you're a young kid and you're growing up in those particular circumstances in America, you're not going to see examples or pathways to stability and wealth and, and, and uh, like a career, a professional career. Where you're going to see that is in entertainment and sports on TV. You're going to see that there. And if you're a white kid... And she was arguing that it's the same for poor white kids. And I'm like, it's not, though. Not in America. Because if you're a white kid and you see a dentist and they're white, and you see a doctor and they're white, and they're a white guy, like, you say, okay, well, that's possible. That alone, that alone is is what makes or breaks, like, someone's potential and future. And, And, like, the perpetuation of that. And the the lack of opportunities for people. If you are born poor and white in America, and if you are born poor and black in America, you are not on even ground. You're not. Not in America. And this was my point over and over again, which she was very adamantly opposed to on principle. And I said, but then you're just denying reality at that point. Um... Judella19 says, there's so much imagery of is in this America. I definitely had to watch it many times. Different commentary. Yes. I mean, what do you think about that, Will? I I feel like that that's... You're not on even playing field 
if you are in the uh, exact economic state and whatever in the in the United States particular what you say speaks to my experience as far as perception um I think coolness is something that we take for granted and mm -hmm. you know before we're adults we're kids and teenagers and as we grow up we aspire to the things that we're fond of and for most kids they may have examples of traditional roles in life more practical pursuits but that's not what you want once you get old enough to actually aspire to have the the attention and affection of your peers like when you're a little kid and they ask you what you want to do when you grow up you come up with something that just you know it's affirming yeah. so you might want to do exactly what your parents do because you love your parents um mm -hmm. or your teacher but once you get around that age of puberty where you want the other kids to think that you're cool and you've seen enough pop culture it's like i want to be a jet pilot Mm. <laughs> I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be a musician, whatever is big. And the more options you had to pick from, from that, that category, when you get to that age, because so many adolescents, what we don't realize when we're that age is we're making decisions as children with juvenile minds that have lifelong consequences. It's a lot mm. harder than we realize to pull ourselves from one track of life to another, because we're losing ground on the people who've already chosen that track. That's what I think because about tattoos. Uh, I never got a tattoo because I'm like, what? Would I? When I'm 50, do I want something that an 18 year old decided to put on my body? <laughs> That's why I'm getting mine covered up with yeah, something else that I want on my body. What is that? Is it a mermaid? Is it an anchor? No, I'm actually. I got like I got some tribal stuff when I was young, super super young, and I'm just saving up for it now. Like obviously, I have other issues that I'm dealing with, but. Um, once I do, I'm getting, I don't know if you've ever, you remember the poster for Friday the 13th part eight, where Jason's cutting through the high heart, New York sign. Um, it escapes me at the moment, but well, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get that. But instead of him cutting through the I heart, New York sign, he's going to be cutting through my arm. Like he's in my arm trying to cut his way out. Well, that's pretty gnarly. You know, uh, I always say. Up. I always say I can tell how old you are by your tribal tattoo. But uh, speaking <laughs> to... <laughs> but as far as... Uh, I would like to uh, respond to Will's previous statement in a performance. Oh, I didn't even finish that statement. <laughs> oh. Well, this is what I want to say. I want to be KB. Go for it. Thank you. I was KB for that. For that. But go go ahead. Oh, no, I, I said go it. for it. Oh, I did. I did. I, it was a nonverbal <laughs> response. Oh, I'm, I'm in the Discord, so I can't see. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like clueless. You're dealing with Stevie Wonder right now, man. Well, then you got some rhythm because that guy can play drums too, not just keyboards. And I try to play drums. Hendrix live from the BBC has a jam session with Stevie on drums and the He's rest insane. of the Hendrix band playing with them. It's pretty cool. Just listen, listen to Intervisions, man. Dang. Okay, go ahead. But um, the thing about wanting to be cool and how that impacts your adolescence and how your adolescence impacts the rest of your life, that that's formative. Um, and, but the other thing about having more options means that there's more margin of error. Like, you know, if you choose wrong and your only options are an entertainer or an athlete, 
then you have to reconcile the rest of your existence because if yeah. you spend the next let's say it happens on your 10 the next eight years of your life thinking you're going to be one of those two things and then you're not either you have to rebuild yeah. if you're afforded that luxury um like in my case i didn't start playing an instrument until i was 22 years old i'd loved music all my life but no one had ever been a part of my family that was musically inclined that actually took any seriousness in welcome to my family <laughs> yeah you're the only one you were the unicorn in the family right my brother he's, he's a little bit musical he, he likes a lot of good music but you know no one in my family there was no role model there was nobody in my family who was pursuing music on a professional level in any way <laughs> it was just something i had to go out and do but i feel you on that and you know you get to a point where you like in my case in college i met people who were already playing and some of them they had gone to school and been in band and learned to play their instrument young and they had a down pat and others it was just something that they had in their family and it wasn't anything they were actually classically trained on but they'd always had it around yeah. so like for me availability in my head my vocabulary as a musician is informed by a 22 year deficit mm -hmm. well no one starts when they're born but right let's say the kids who start learning to play when they start school at age six or whatever if someone's mm -hmm. been playing that long you know and they're still with it like yeah. i'm not going to be where they are but i didn't have the time like that's the other yeah. thing when you're younger you have the luxury of time to spend as much time as you want on something exactly. you want to focus on Mm -hmm. but when you get older you got to you got to keep a roof over your head or you got to do whatever you, you make can that to money. survive so yeah you, you can't dedicate as much time so you're fighting this uphill battle and then the flip side of that is just having the idea that you could do something different than what's expected to you puts you in a position where you're contrary like you got to go against the grain because culturally you're not going to be on on brand if you're the right. kid who's in the computers when people who look like you aren't supposed right. to be in the computer no i had a friend in... i had a friend um uh, let's call him his name jose i had a friend in high school <laughs> jose and uh he's he was in like the honors classes with us and he was a uh, he was a real s smart kid um but you know it was a majority of white kids in the honors classes so I don't know at some point in high school he just started to become like tough and cool or whatever and like he became he stopped being in the honors classes it was like he had socially been pressured in my opinion because he's my good friend we used to sit there we, you know we used to watch uh, we used to watch Martin that was a fun show uh, but he used to like basically he went from being a nerd to like being cool but too cool for mm -hmm. being smart <laughs> and i think it was he was too cool for school he was too literally too cool for school and uh th i think that was unfortunate because i feel like that that was something that he felt pressured to because of ethnicity and stuff like that so seen that happen many a time i can yeah. uh, you know i have my own faith of that myself why where, are you, you trying know, to play with those books pattern. yeah it's like but, reading they have an affinity for certain types of toys, all those different things. They're not like 
to get more broad with it since it started so broad the cultural identity of americans is shaped by our media and the people who are in power to dictate what the media is and yeah. that's you know we're talking billionaires um right the industries that and the dangerous thing about getting into this particular critique is this is where you find a lot of anti-semitism in the music industry and in distribution Mm -hmm. um and i experienced that working in music retail where the certain things people will equip and say is all right whoever controls your distribution or your publishing rights or rights management they dictate what people hear and what people see and he who controls the the spice controls the universe but go ahead um is that if you're only being sold this version of what you can be like halloween costumes you go in the store and all you see is black panther spider-man and the ninja turtles well you're only going to be black black panther spider-man or the ninja turtles right right um you can shape somebody's existence by forcing them to either go against the grain and be contrary or just do what they're allowed to do because all the other forces of society are pushing them in that direction um playing hockey in the desert is not going to be as easy as if you lived in buffalo new york i got a question real question can a white kid be black panther depends on if they decide that or not we're not in control of that i say yes like i I think that people forget that a white guy created black panther that's true with a specific agenda right to broaden the uh the universe mm-hmm. to broaden the world of uh yeah for sure um on that note here's a question i have about marvel and this is just a general question why is it that all the a tier with and a tier is a very a tier is a very specific specific like like category here we're talking about like top heroes all the black top heroes of Marvel for a certain period of time, and maybe it's changed recently, but not so mm-hmm. much. Right. Are not native born Americans. They're either Africans or in the current era, we say, or they're biracial. Right. Oh, right, right, right. Aurora, Moreau, Storm. It was Black Panther. They were probably the two most prominent. That's Raven was the beat. I, I have one that I would argue with uh, you about, Go and that it. is the Falcon. He was, uh, he debuted in the 70s. And he is a uh, pretty main character when it comes to the whole Captain America thing. And Captain right, America is not a small character. Luke Cage, maybe. Well, know, okay. wasn't... well, yeah, Luke Luke Cage had his own his own, his own book, and then he was teamed Cyborg. up with. Uh, yeah. um, what's his face? No, he, we're talking Marvel. Um, Iron and Fist. then he, like Luke, yeah, Iron Fist, Plus, he was a direct riff off of black exploitation. And then he got partnered up, and so he's always Luke Cage is B tier man. Yeah, he is. Luke, he might be B, B plus, B minus tier. Not if you're reading Devil's Reign right now. Whoo boy! Well, this is now. Like I said, I'm talking about to a certain period of time. Like in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years, they pushed more and got a lot of pushback to elevate mm-hmm. American-born black characters in Marvel. But before that period of time, like. Like he either had to be from the future, Bishop, from Africa, the ones we've mm-hmm. already mentioned, uh, biracial of some sort, Miles Morales, or yeah. you were B tier, like you were a sidekick or a co-conspirator with one of the other characters, but you never carried it on your own unless 
you being that character was your claim to fame, which that, in that case, that would be Luke Cage, like when they revitalized him in the 90s. But like, right. Death well, I mean, uh, uh, th- I would argue that uh, that Sam Wilson was wasn't just a sidekick because he was Cap for a long time for a while, and that was no, wasn't, wasn't recently. Yeah, but I'm not, that wasn't just recently. That was at least like maybe five years ago, six years ago that happened. I'm talking that was going back before. to like 2005 and before. Like I'm, I'm old man. We got. I'm embracing the old. So am I. I'm an old man. What are you? 27. Can I get up? 27. I'm 27 plus. Plus years, plus twenty-seven. Count years from Uranus, you know, because it takes so many more years to go around the sun. We're in Uranus years. We're all twenty-nine. I'm, I'm trying not. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying not to be. I'm not trying not to age anymore. I, try, I gave up on that for a while ago. I actually was at the supermarket and I was buying a, like a bottle of wine, and they had to see my ID, and they're like, "ID, please." And I was like, "Well, thanks." And then they looked at the, the date, birth date, and the guy said, "Nice going." <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say that. <laughs> I gave I was like, up aging right. for Lent. <laughs> yeah, just give it up for forty but, days a year, for forty years a day. This is really an old head argument, but at the same time, the fact that the reason it isn't that way anymore is because they demonstrably made an attempt to correct what had been the majority of the editorial history of Marvel Comics. Mm. Is like is, is, it, is it a good thing that they tried fixing it? Well, you had to ask the question. All right, how did it go over when they did? What does that tell us? My Marvel? issue, okay. My issue when when Sam became Captain America, my issue wasn't that he wasn't a white guy. My issue was that I'm just that big of a Bucky fan. And even yeah. in the movies recently, it's like they totally glossed over the fact that Bucky, Bucky held the shield yeah. for a good period of time. I and can, I, I mean, he was a much more violent Captain America, too. Right. I, I could see that being. But, you know, maybe there is some level of rela- like relating to Bucky as a character um, maybe unconsciously or consciously or whatever. But like I, w- I would like to say that, you know, Captain America has always been blonde hair, blue eyed Captain America, blonde hair, blue eyes. And when I was in high school, I remember. Um, my girlfriend at the time, she said, she said something like this. She was from Buffalo. I, I was in New York. She said, she, she said, you know, like, oh, that guy's like all American. She was referring to some guy who was blonde haired and blue eyed. And I'm like, what do you mean all American? And she said, well, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed. And I was like, I'm all American. <laughs> like, doesn't that, what does that mean? All American. I was born here just as much as that guy. <laughs> Does that make me not all American? How much American am I? That late that that person actually later went on to vote for Donald Trump. So that's how. uh, (laughs) And I said to uh, the last thing I said to her because because I stopped talking to her after that. For you know we sort of maintained a friendship for years, but then I was like, hey, you know, uh, there's nothing that will ever convince me that you'll see me as an equal citizen of this country. So I I don't know if I can have a really connect with you on any real level ever again so that's how i uh feel about people who voted for donald trump who said listen that was my only choice i had to i had to make a choice between hillary clinton and donald trump and i just i just couldn't vote for hillary (laughs) and it's like well you don't see you didn't you didn't see how 
insulting to the core that was to your fellow citizens of this country who are of the minority who you just didn't even see probably to begin with or relate to on any way. See, that's the whole thing for me. I, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I also think the people who say, oh, well, I, I couldn't vote for Hillary, but then if they turned around and voted for Biden, Biden wasn't my first choice by a long shot, and neither was Hillary. But I looked at yeah. the other side and I saw how bad it was. Yeah. I mean, I feel like any you know, reasonable so person. Lesser of two evils. <laughs> Yeah, any reasonable person would have been made, uh, I don't know. America is messed up, and I think that that's what we're, this is America. This is what we were talking about today, and how it's uh, institutionally, the the disparate uh, narratives, the the way that America is, black people in America are perceived, versus white people in America, and it's particularly that mall fight between the two kids in New Jersey of all places and uh, you know they were separated and the black kid is like pinned to the ground and handcuffed while the white kid is sort of just like hang out over here while we take care of this menace <laughs> you know what I mean um, so I, I do want to I do want to steer this to a close now but uh, what was it Will? What were you gonna say? I said, before you wrap up I'm going to rewind it to your conversation about the, the girl in high school Simple yes. question, and it, it, yeah. it, this oh, she's white. Everything we about. <laughs> I forgot to mention, she's white. Why? She's blonde-haired, blue-eyed. <laughs> yeah. And actually, yeah. I, I would say it doesn't even matter that she was. But why is it that Captain America and college-educated too, looking college very educated. American, also coincides with looking very Aryan? Well, you know, when Captain America was invented <laughs> around them times. Uh, I mean, for oh, Judy, Judy said, I always hated her. <laughs> okay, That's guys, funny. I'll talk to you later. Have a good one. Oh, we have a Take good night, Ron. Thank you for, yeah, for being bye. here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, sometimes your friends see things you don't. And, uh, that's a, that's important sometimes to maybe listen to your friends about things like that. But, Will, what was your question? Well, I said, why is it that everything that is typical American as far as how we think about people's features is right. also typical Aryan archetypes. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was a, it was a combat combat, you know, obviously Superman be having dark hair. Cause he was invented by two uh, Jewish folks in New York city. in like during world war two to combat the idea that, you know, the perfect person's got blonde hair and, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, combat the, you know the Nazi idea, the the Hitler's idea that the blonde-haired, blue-eyed folks um, are the superior race, and they said, "No, look, we're going to make a Superman who's American. We're going to give him dark hair, so that people, you know, he's an alien, but you know, they're going to give him dark hair to combat that idea." But uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's really interesting that we even here in the United States kind of kind of sell that idea but still i mean come on it just it just hurts to the core that blonde haired blue-eyed white guy well that's obviously an american and then you look at me and people are like where are you from who is where what's your where no like what's where are you from what's your ethnicity like 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 what's what's going on here i can't compute that you were born in the united states (laughs) somehow that doesn't 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Look at The Bachelor. How many black bachelors have there been? How many black bachelorettes have there been? Let's be real. Real talk. There's been 473 seasons of The Bachelor. And what percentage of those bachelors and bachelorettes are black? Let's give it a percent. It's probably about 3%. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, right? We still keep going. We still keep promoting. We still, corporate America says, oh, everybody's going to eat this up. We got to have black bachelor, white black bachelor. My favorite part about The Bachelor is I haven't seen it, but I would always predict it. And uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but the white bachelor will be like, you get to the top three and he'll he'll keep one black lady around. <laughs> and then until <laughs> we get until until the final rose, it's like, listen, I got to get let you go because, you know, for ratings and for, you know, PC and for a co- to protect our corporate interests and whatnot, we, we got to keep you in the mix till about the top three. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to. Then I got to, you know, obviously get rid of you. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Have you seen Bridgerton? I've not seen Bridgerton. My my theory is that Bridgerton is a big factor in why they finally did a black bachelor. That's all I'm saying. Now, how black was he? (laughs) Was Uh, he like, well, this black? (laughs) By American standards, not at all. Right. Because he was, you know, 18th century. <laughs> yeah. That's my question. So, exactly. yeah. But the idea of, I mean, he, he did what I would say Idris opened the door to. So Idris Elba right. yeah. has mainstreamed what Sidney Poitier had, that, that dignified yet exotic. Right. Like a tiger. But You know, it, it's funny, yeah. though, because, you know, it's it's still... It's still, it's still like, we got to get, we're going to say they're black, but you know, we're going to get like biracial Zazie Beats because she's not too black. <laughs> you know, That's it's what just, I was getting at about Marvel too. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it, there are degrees. There are degrees of uh, white friendly blacks out there that, uh, that corporate America will hire. And you know what? I'm taking their money. <laughs> <laughs> like the, suddenly, suddenly I'm of, of value to corporate America. Suddenly, uh, you know, my whole childhood made fun of for my hair and my skin and ever my nose and my lips made fun of for that. And then, uh, you know, now they pay me. <laughs> so I'll well, take that money. About the solution. I mean, blind. I said blind. I was going to say blind religion, but bad religion. Remember they had that album called the, the Great Race? No. Oh, dude, I, I, it was late '90s, but like all the art was black and white, which was common for those Latter Day Bad Religion albums. But it featured a lot of people who were multiracial, and the whole notion is that absolute assimilation will only be achieved when all the races intermingle, so that you can't identify what race somebody is. Right, and but we'll find all races. But we'll find something because we're humans. And we'll be like, this guy is. They look at me. They'll be like, he's barely got any eyebrows. You're, we're racist against you with the no eyebrow. You're no eyebrows. So obviously you're inferior. <laughs> so like they're, oh, there's always height and weight. Yeah, they'll find something. They always do. We always do. Listen, we're humans. 
will always try to kill other humans. <laughs> that's what we do. That's that's so what we've done. An excuse. And exactly, and and when I say that, I mean you know there used to be other humans on the Earth, other types of humans like Neanderthals and Denisovans, uh, and they're all gone because we killed them or assimilated them in some way. But we've mostly killed them. But uh, well, well, thank you for joining me on this conversation. It's a very important conversation that we should keep me. going. I always enjoy having you and talking to you and Judy L19 and Studio 8H and Ron. Thank you guys all for popping in and having this chat tomorrow night, guys. Join me when we have trivia, trivia Thursdays. We're going to talk about underdogs, movie underdogs. Now get your movie underdog thinking cap on because you got to fight Will. Will's got the trophy right now, right here on the. You can see right here on the screen. Is this Will is the current reigning champion of Aristotle Full Throttle Trivia? But tomorrow, Will will be Will will be able to defend will will have the will <laughs> to win will will have the will to win tomorrow on aristotle full throttle well it's been a wonderful day i'm gonna go play bass i'm gonna go play bass i'm very excited about that and uh everybody have a wonderful evening remember black lives matters black lives matters because i think this is the funny part because, like I, I was saying this earlier, Will, that uh, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. the, the woke mob—I say that woke mob in quotes—but you know, there's a group of people that are like, "Yes, black light." You know, this is the white woke mob. I'm going to say that, that uh, particularly, they would be like, "Black lives matter." Yes, black lives matter. Indigenous lives matter. Trans lives matter. And I was like, "Well, yeah, yes, true." However. You're just saying all lives matters again. You're just saying that. And you think that you're saying something helpful. And you're not. Because right now, it's Black Lives Matters. And that's what we're trying to focus on. That's the point. Yeah. That's the statement. You're still co-opting. I we was have to listening ha- and all that. There's a whole yeah. other conversation we could have another day that uh, kind of, I think, explains that. And it's yeah. a critique of certain aspects of progressivism that would be probably a good talk. Like, Indeed. how can progressives police themselves? And when do we do it too much? I don't know. People got a lot of fire in their belly, but not a lot of brains in their head sometimes. <laughs> they need to take a step back and think about what they're saying. Uh, I'm trying to have a stream of consciousness show where I don't think about anything. I just say what exactly comes to my mind. And, and, uh, and it's, uh, you know... I don't know. If you like it, subscribe. From the heart, the mouthpiece. Exactly. Well, thank you guys so much. Good night, everybody. Toodle, folks.